Amen. This morning we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, first few verses there. Um, and Eric, if you would, Ephesians 4, just put your finger in there and I'll call on here a little bit. 2 Corinthians, uh, we're going to be in the first part there. Uh, let me ask you a question. Start off with this. What are some, some modern day responses we might get if um, we are asking someone to be real? Uh, and so that you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, real is what you are at home, not what you were when you necessarily got out of the car and came into church this morning. So y- you understand what I'm talking about? That, you know, uh, the kids are screaming, uh, you're, you're fussing, whatever's going on, and then all of a sudden we put on this. And it doesn't necessarily have to be church. It could be work. It could be you're going to have folks over, whatever, and then all of a sudden, psh- you're not that real is not there anymore. So, what are some reasons why we cover that up? So, some of the reasons that we're not that we do that. What are if you said someone that uh, you don't? Why do we do that? Guilt. Guilt. Okay. So, if we're doing something wrong, we don't want everybody to know. We want to look spiritual. Okay, spiritual. Embarrassing. Um, what about? Uh, so that I get out of the church realm for just a minute. What about just uh, if you're having folks over or you've got, uh, you're in front of folks that you know. Uh, so that same, you know, you, you change that same, uh, that same metamorphosis happens, you know, where you leave all your baggage in the car and then you, why is that? Right. So they won't respect me. They won't respect me as much. They won't. Uh, they won't think highly of me. Um, uh, what about? Okay, that we want to be accepted, don't we? We want to be accepted. They just flat won't like me. What about same situation? What if you're discipling somebody? Okay, and you've got something going on in your life that's just not not the perfect Christian. What about sharing that with them and being real with them? I know what we're supposed to do. My question is, why don't we? What, what, is, the, what, is, the, what, what is it we go, that goes through our head there that we say we can't, we can't let them see this particular aspect of our life? What are we worried about? Pride and What's that? Pride and yeah. Yeah, I think, true, I'm absolutely with you, but I want to expound on that pride for just a minute. Isn't really the heart of it? We want them to think we're more than we really are. I mean, isn't that really what it's, you know, we don't want to be genuine with them. Uh, And I think you could say we don't want them to get discouraged. You know, because there's this uh, idea that Christians, everything's put together and buttoned up and nice and neat, however wrong it is. So if, we're, uh, if we confide in them or we let them know that there's this thing going on in our life that's not that perfect Christian, that maybe, maybe we'll scare them off. Maybe that we'll show them a weakness. Um, as I was reading and studying through 2 Corinthians, those of you that were here um, last time, we were in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, I was really struggling with what to do here, and I started reading in, uh, this and studying in 2 Corinthians, and... I kind of uh, 
looked at Paul and what he was doing. Uh, just a, a, a bit of background, a lot of this letter is written where Paul is having to, or uh, justifying his position. He's got people that are accusing him of not keeping his word, of him, accusing him not to be in the man that he's got ulterior motives. And basically his motives are being challenged. And kind of what I want you to look at here underneath the scripture that we're going to read, I want you to look at Paul, I want you to see Paul's heart, and see what Paul's motivation is. And see if any of these things that we've just talked about, if you see any of those in Paul, or if you see a different motivation. Um, Paul, what you're going to see is Paul really is kind of sharing his inner feelings, which is kind of the opposite of what we just got through talking about. Um, and in that, you're going to see some motives that maybe we can adopt and we can hold on to that can help us at those times when we think, uh, you know, what should we do or shouldn't we do? When should we share? When should we open up? When shouldn't we? Uh, it all goes back to the motives there. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says to be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. And what you're going to see here is that lived out in Paul's life. Paul's going to give us a good example to live out in. Uh, live out in our lives. Uh, is that intimidating for you guys? Would y'all feel comfortable making that statement? Imitate me just as I imitate Christ? You know, first, I, as I read it, I thought, you know, that's kind of bold to say it, let alone to actually believe I might could live it out, right? But he says it, and he does live it out, and he still wasn't perfect, as we are not perfect. All right, uh, let's get into the the passage, and I'll read it. First Corinthians, I mean, Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, one, uh, two, verse one. I'll get it together here in a minute. Uh, but I determined this within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should be take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices." First few, well, a quick background. Uh, as I studied, uh, some of the commentators said that this man that is being spoken about is the incestuous man in 1 Corinthians. Some said it wasn't. We're not going to debate that. Here's what you need to know. There was someone that Paul had given the Corinthians uh, instruction to discipline. And the disciplining is over, and now he's given them some instruction to go with that. Just hang on to that. The other can be debated at a later date. So in uh, verse 1, uh, verse one, 
Paul kinds of gives an account. Remember I said he was defending his motives? Paul gives an account of why he's not coming. Uh, and he said he determined himself that he would not come again to you in sorrow. What's he saying there? Little help in two. For I make you sorrowful then, who is, who is it makes me glad, but one who is made sorrowful by me? So is he, why is he saying he doesn't want to come? He doesn't want to come, yeah, and give them the grief. He doesn't want to come and do what he, what he knows he needs to do. He doesn't want to come and correct them because they bring him joy. Uh, have you ever experienced that in a relationship? You don't want to have that bad conversation with someone. You don't want to have, have that conflict because you don't want what's going to follow, which is that separation. <laughs> Rod grins back there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Y'all have had that? What, why is that? We just hate conflict that much? Yeah. It's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. Absolutely. Very uncomfortable. It hurts. Yeah. And do you see that uh, Paul says there, because you bring me so much joy? Right? He doesn't want to hurt the ones. Doesn't you see a little bit of caring in there? He's. You're worried about what they're going to say back? Yeah. Well, and you see a little bit of that in what Paul's saying here is because if you're angry at me, maybe you won't bring me that joy. You see that? You see a little bit of that in there. Uh, verse 3, uh, he reiterates that, uh, that he has written this to them previously, and I wrote this very thing to you so that when I came, I shouldn't have sorrow over those who, over whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you, all that my joy is the joy of you all. Do you see what he's saying here? He says, uh, it's a nice way of saying, I've already told you this once, right? He's telling them, you're questioning my motives, or I'm hearing that you're questioning my motives. I already wrote a letter and told you why I wasn't coming. Now he's writing another letter that's reiterating why he's not coming, right? Because I don't want to have to pound you. I don't want to have to give you the grief uh, that maybe you deserve. Uh, In verse 4, though, this is kind of where I want you to key in. Look what he says about the letter that he had previously written. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. What's, he, what's, what's Paul's heart here? Why is he saying the things that he has to say? He cares for him. Wants them to do better. Do you, what, have you ever written a letter in tears or had a conversation in tears with someone of a disciplining nature because you were so upset on their behalf? I didn't say because you were so mad at them you could twist their head off. <laughs> so because, because you were so upset on their behalf. You know, as I, uh, as I read through this, um, I was challenged about my willingness to have those kinds of discussions with, with others. In other words, what's my motivation? Why, why am I having this, this conversation? Is it for their well-being or is it to get something off my chest? 
aren't we usually self-motivated? He or she done me wrong, and I am going to get this fixed right now, right? We're going to get this settled. They're not going to do me like that. Uh, Paul's motivation is, is key here. Let me ask you this. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Did he have the right to tell these folks in this church what they should and shouldn't be doing? He had authority over them, an authority that I probably can't comprehend except maybe as a father to my children, maybe. Um, uh, But yet, that's not why he's anguishing over this, right? You've done my Lord wrong, although I'm sure that was in there. He's worried about them and their growth. Um, He knew his words were going to wound the Corinthians. And before the words got on the paper or out of his mouth, he's already in tears about it. He wasn't excited that he finally let them have what they deserved. He had a compassionate heart. And ultimately he was worried about their growth. Uh, Look in 5... Well, I'll tell you what, before we go there, what's the point of discipline our children? Why do we do it? Y'all give me the pat answer. Okay, we want them to change their ways, right? So no one in this room that has children has ever disciplined children out of anger because they embarrassed you. Or, but, oh, you had, you had once. Tucker said he did once. I saw Eric do it. You're okay. Eric did it once too. Uh, Huggy saw it. They're close enough that he saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you a question. As a child, have you ever been angered at the discipline you received and then later appreciated it? Right. Either as an adult or just later in life where you finally got it. That's my thing. I, oh, I get it now, you know. It's usually after I find myself, uh, I sound like my dad or, you know, I go, oh, that's humbling. Okay. Have you ever been disciplined as an adult? Now, that's a little different, isn't it? Um, why is that more complicated? Because I am not a child. Don't treat me like one. Um, what are the, um, are the consequences really any less as an adult when we need discipline than they are as a child when they need discipline? And guys, this discipline, I don't want you to take this to the church discipline level. I'm not talking about things are so bad that the, the elders of the church are coming to your house. Any time you're doing something that's out of line, and a brother or sister disciplines you in some way, even if they just bring it up. I'm not talking about corporal punishment here. I'm talking about just bring it up. How do we, how do we feel about that? No. We feel like this room, let's not talk about it. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> let's move on to the next subject. Uh, plus, you know, I don't really like to be told that I'm wrong. Right? Uh, don't even want to consider that possibility. Mm-hmm. We're so we're so right or 
due to that, then any kind of violation of those rights seems that, that we set up in our mind where they're real or imaginary, okay? We, we feel like uh, that we're being attacked for, for no reason based on the assumption that we have all these rights. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, two, I think uh, another is that everybody wants to be treated just alike. Oh, mm-hmm. I treat everybody just alike. Well, you're doomed to fail if you treat everybody just alike because, mm-hmm. you know, what will work for, and, and Rod, I'm sure, in his counseling, you know, you can discipline somebody and they, hey, they straighten right up and then the same thing just make the other person worse. Right. So you, it's a, it's a difficult thing. You have to, uh, you know, know the circumstances and I guess the person. Yeah. We can't, we can't even discipline our children the same way. If you, those, those that have had two children and have seen them grow up, they don't. If you discipline them the same way, you're you're very lucky if they're the same children. That that doesn't work, right? Absolutely. That, that's the heart. Just so that y'all, I, I'm making a point with discipline here first, but just so you know, that's where we're going. Remember I started off with, I want you to look at Paul and his motivation through this activity. It's not about the activity. It's about who Paul is as he works through it. So, absolutely. Took, basically it took the Holy Spirit after I would get over being mad about it to show me that, you know, regardless of their approach, there's some truth in it, that kind of deal, you know. And so, but their approach just, and I've seen them hurt other people, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Because they, they might be right, but their approach is totally wrong. And you don't see that they care. But I've, had another, I've had another friend of mine who there was no doubt. And they were just as, maybe sometimes even more blunt, even more blatant and severe with their point something out in my life, but for whatever, just the way they approached and the way they went about it, there was not a doubt. I was more, you know, I was more broken because I could see that they were hurt yeah. and they cared about me and they were hurt. It hurt their heart yeah. to see me continue to live that way or continue to have that habit or whatever it was. Right. You see what Paul is doing here in four, you see it in the way that they present themselves. You know, if they're broken, broken on your behalf, then it doesn't look like they're self-motivated, that they're uh, pridefully motivated. Uh, what happens even on the small things if we don't discipline our children like we're supposed to? I'm talking about the little things. They tell a little white lie. They stole one piece of candy from the store. Gets bigger. Gets bigger, better, right? Bigger and worse. What happens as adults with the little things? Is it any different? Isn't it easier to lie the second time? Isn't it easier to compound? Isn't it easier to 
Um, let's see, I'm trying not to get any kitchens here. Uh, isn't it easier to go to bed angry the third time than it is to go to bed angry the first time? No matter who you're angry at. Um, isn't it easier to have terse words the second time around? Can't the, the level escalate the second time around or the third time around than the first time around? All right. Um, five and six. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. The punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. What Paul is doing here is he is saying, the man's been punished and it's sufficient. Let's move on. Right? Uh, how and why should we discipline for children and for adults? Uh, Ephesians 4, uh, I think it's 15 and 16, Eric. So, speaking the truth in love. I want you to hold on to that phrase. Um, because some of us, I can be one of these, I can speak the truth really quick. It ain't a problem <laughs> to speak the truth. Ask my wife. Ask grinny guy in the back back there. <laughs> I can speak the truth. It's, it's easy. And, and you know, it's part of my personality. It's part of the way I'm made up. However... That back part is what we've got to hold on to. It's what I've got to hold on to, what we all have to hold on to. Are you speaking the truth in love? I didn't say, do you love the person, and so now you can blast them with the truth. Are you speaking it in love? For them and not for yourself. Exactly. Love for them and not for yourself. Absolutely. Uh, 7A. So that on the contrary... You ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. The purpose of the discipline has been accomplished, and now Paul's giving the uh, Corinthians some direction. He wants to replace the punishment with forgiveness and comfort. Do we forget that sometimes? I know Bill Cosby always says, love your child right after you spank them, but, you know, is that, or discipline them, whatever you're, whatever the, uh, what about with adults? Is our first motive, or our first, uh, is as soon as we have that bad conversation, the first thing we want to do is hug them? Shake their hand, maybe that's the more manly thing, we just shake their hand. Be willing to turn around and be the mercy. 
Yeah. Personal nurses them back to, you know, when they like this guy they hold down. Yeah. Head up. You know, they've been wounded a little bit because wounds of a friend. You know. Um, Isn't it interesting that it's so much easier for us to cut somebody up? It's so hard to humble ourselves and tell them that we love them, because what could happen? then they could turn around and cut you up, right? They're going to turn around and say, what do you mean? You come over here and you tell me this business and then you want to... Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a situation where you had one of those? I'm sure we have. Where you had that very tough conversation with an adult, but yet you shook hands, hugged necks, or whatever when you were done. What? How did you feel leaving that situation? Not just personally, but did was the task accomplished? Was the, you know, did we had the conversation and we didn't compromise Christ in that we didn't have an, uh, another motive there? Comes back to motive. Um, what did he say in the back of seven? He said that. Uh, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. What's he guarding against here? I'm going to get discouraged when I get this. And Especially if you have an attraction. True. And, and he has really reiterated that the punishment is done and it's sufficient. Okay, I think that's key. It needs, it's sufficient. You know, you don't just say to the guy, don't do that anymore. And if he doesn't change, he's, it's sufficient. What he's saying is, don't keep pounding the guy while he's down. Because what, what, what is swallowed up, what did he say, swallowed up with too much sorrow? Maybe modern day depression? I mean, what we, what we deem as depression nowadays, that, you can kind of see that being swallowed up where, woe is me, everything's bad, I can't, I can't win. All right, in uh, the back half of 7 and through the rest of the, the passage, Paul now gives reasons why the Corinthians should comply with his request. Uh, we're kind of switching modes here. It's not about the man anymore. It's about the Corinthians. Um, uh, well, first B, I'm sorry, 7B was the man. Then we go into 8. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you're obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. In seven he's worried about the man being swallowed up and being too sorrowful. In nine he talks about their obedience. You know, I, I kind of see a little jab here. Y'all were very obedient to kick the man out. Are you going to be obedient to bring him back in and comfort and forgive him? Are you going to be obedient in all things or just those things that might just be prideful in you? Right? I'm real good to say you shouldn't be whatever it was the man was being wronged in. Or now we're going to have to get on our knees a little bit. Right? We're going to have to be humble before the man. And forgive him and love him. Then in 10 he says, you should give for, because I forgive. Right? If the apostle of Christ can forgive him, shouldn't the Corinthians forgive him? 
And then in 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, all of us. So he calls this a device of Satan's. What's he saying there? Is he saying that lack of forgiveness on our part can be detrimental to our well-being? You know, he said that he had forgiven him, and he includes himself here as part of us, you know, hoping that they would forgive and that he would forgive. So how does that work out in your life? How does not forgiving someone become detrimental and become a device of Satan? constant struggle motive-wise between Satan and Christ and that is why you don't do what you want to do. Yeah, the flesh. Yeah, I pound against the flesh. Absolutely. Uh, He is? Ultimately, any sin, let's just put any sin as what this man did wrong. Who is that against? Right. Aren't we being a bit prideful? I'm not saying that someone can't sin against us, okay? I'm not saying that someone can't do you wrong. The question is, do we have the right to make that call? That's the question. See, God has that right. We don't. Well, think about it. Uh, think about in your life a small thing that someone else did to you that never got resolved and you harbored it and it later exploded on you. You know, another, you know, sometime down the road, another thing that in and of itself was not a big deal. The, old, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. Well, it broke the camel's back because of the other thing that was in your heart all along, right? So if you think about that, who's really losing in that battle, right? And unforgiveness can quickly become a sin and can be a stronghold for Satan. That's what Paul is saying here, that when you take this thing, when you take discipline past the well-being of the one that's being disciplined, you see, you take it past that, you're giving Satan an opportunity to grab a hold in your life. I think about it. You know on those rock walls, the things that they put out there so you can grab a hold of? You're given, visually I'm giving Satan one of those to, get to, to have a hold in my life because I'm harboring something and I'm carrying this discipline thing further than just for the well-being of the other. At that point, it's for somebody else. Did you have something, Wayne, or did I, did I blow past it? Open you are for 
Absolutely. It, it does fester. I, I don't know if there's a better word for that than, you know, a wound, you know, a splinter in your hand. How that thing gets pus all around, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and until, it, until you get it gone, you know, until that thing gets out of there, it's going to get worse. I think a lot of people have what I call closets where they, instead of throwing it in the trash, they stick yeah. it in the closet. Yeah. The next time it comes up, they open the door and all of a sudden it all just comes out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's absolutely full. Uh, so let me ask you a question. As you look back at this passage and you think about Paul and where he was at, what's been the condition of his heart? If you had to describe that in a word, what has been the condition of his heart as he talked to the Corinthians, as he responded to what the man did? Where's Paul been? If you summed his heart up in one word, what would it be? Sounds to me like love. Love? Others? It's a good one. Compassion. Compassion. Concerned. concerned. Who's who's he concerned about? Everybody else. Yeah, everybody else. Not there's not a lot of Paul in here. Uh, it's all about them. Um, how does paying attention to the condition of our heart as a primary? help us in these type situations. Does it, does it hit at our motive? You know, why are we doing what we're doing? Why am I fussing about this particular item? Is it because I've got a dog in this fight or because I've been wrong? What is the, what is the motivation there? Think back through the last three or four discussions you had with another adult that were not of the positive variety. And think back about what was, our, what was your motivation in that discussion. Were you protecting yourself or were you looking out for their well-being? Personally, I never know. When I think I'm doing something good, then all of a sudden I think, well, maybe it's because I want something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's constant no such thing as an unselfish act. Is that what you say? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Jim. I was just telling Rod. For me, like I, I think you can go the opposite with this because, like, I can tell that you don't have any trouble confronting someone, <laughs> but I have trouble. Right. Like even when I know I should, you know, that's not love for someone if I don't. Absolutely. Two different aspects of selfishness. One is, I'm being selfish because I don't want to go through the grief. And the other one is, I'm being selfish because we're going to get this over with and move on. Right? I'm tired of carrying this baggage around with me. So it's two. There, there is a balance there. Absolutely. Both are just as equally sinful. Absolutely. I'm glad that we now know that Jen and I are equally sinful. So we've got all that out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, now you don't know. You, <laughs> yeah, you and Tamara need to compare notes. You might. <laughs> Anything other than conflict. Yeah. I can go weeks and think I'm a perfect husband. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That long, Harry. Yeah.
it has always been knocked down and grinded out and um, so how you do conflict and that kind of stuff and uh, you know it just I think if you saw it I guess in a constructive way it'd be different or like somebody will tell you well God told me to come to you and how yeah. does that, that balance and, and I think it's real easy it's one thing for me to say I'm coming to you because I love you it's another thing for you to really believe that, for that to be a sincere, what am I? I'm not talking about just convincing you. I'm not being, me being a good actor. I'm talking about is that genuinely my motive? Well, I think if, if we, we, the guy I'm going to doesn't know or the gal I'm going to doesn't know, but I know. I should know whether, what, what, what am I, what, what's the reason for me doing this, Right? And I, in the heat of the moment, maybe not, but after the fact. And that's really what I pulled out of this passage uh, and what I really, I think Paul gives us a great example is whether we're talking about uh, conflict with our children in discipline, whether we're talking about conflict with our spouses, conflict with our, uh, oh, y'all don't have, newlyweds don't have any conflict, by the way. Y'all, got, y'all, y'all are good. Y'all don't read that. It really doesn't ha- conflict really doesn't happen actually. It really doesn't happen even later in life. It doesn't happen. I don't want to burst that bubble. That's we're jealous. We're all jealous. All of us are very jealous. Uh, children, wives, friends, church members. Is our what's our motive? What's our motive? What what are we trying to accomplish? Is it about them, or is it about us? Uh, one of the commentators said this. Forgiveness is the medicine that helps heal broken hearts. Whether it's children, adults, discipline must be followed with forgiveness, assurance, and most of all, love throughout the process, right? I think, don't, don't most of us, the love comes maybe at the end if we, at, on our best days. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to love them through all this. Yeah, I remember that. Doesn't it come at the end? So the, the title of the lesson was A Compassionate Heart, Loving Discipline. And just don't take that discipline. I'm not talking about corporal punishment here. I'm talking about any kind of conflict. What's our motivation? Challenged me. Um, it, it encourages me that I can see that in the life of someone like Paul, that God chose to get these words on a piece of paper um, so that I could see Paul doing what he did and see what his motivation was. You know, I never before gave any weight to the fact that he wrote a letter in tears and anguish, right? And now it makes Paul very real. So I'm thankful for that, right? Heart motivation. We 
we need to love and be loving in our discipline. It's so much easier to me to swing first in these Christian communities and be harsh and be, you know, kind of keep that drive out there. And uh, it's one of the hardest things that I've had to overcome, especially Christian families that I'm working with, is there almost seems to be this innate Christian belief that discipline has to be harsh in order to be effective. And I'm trying to get people to understand that, and even get me to understand, the heart of what's going on and loving graciously and lavishly even during discipline is, is hugely important to Christian families. Well, that's in that kind of the summation of the church. We can become so works-oriented so quickly because the reality is I can't see your heart. I can't tell that your heart has changed. Therefore, what I need to see and I'm being selfish here is I need to make sure that you're doing A, B, C, D, E, F, G and we run that same pattern with our kids, right? That's with our kids and in church, and when you focus entirely on outcomes-based and, and behavior-based and still legalistic and, and uncaring, yeah, kids just learn to get away with it. They just learn to hide it. They, mm-hmm. they just get angry. Um, you know, one of the biggest reasons you were talking about earlier, why is it hard to be vulnerable with people? Because Christians don't typically like each other. Like, we attack each other. We won't spread gossip, but we will share a prayer request with a heart. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Don't you find it interesting that uh, here again we have another balance of we can't be works-oriented, but at the same time we have to look at what's going, what what is the fruit of the lives of those around us. You, you, You got that, okay, great, the guy does everything just perfect. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't mean he's a Christian. It means he's following a routine. But by the same token, right on the heels of that, great, the guy's a Christian, but he's doing all these things that are not fruit of what a Christian should be. So, so you see that you've got that, that balance there that we've got to work with him. Uh, and it all comes back to as far as what we can do. You know, I've got to work within what skill set I've been given. And the skill set is I need to make sure that my motive is right. Because if my heart is right, ultimately I believe I'm going to get to the right outcome of the situation. Do y'all see how that, even if I don't discipline properly, if you can say that, if I'm ultimately looking out for that other person and their well-being, it's going to come out okay. However, if I go in with the wrong motives and the best set of skills, there's no guarantee, right? There's no guarantee. I have to believe, if you accept that Paul was truly compassionate for the man and the Corinthians, that he was guided by Christ and not by himself. I mean, that's, that's all the way. Well, it has to be. It, because that, just being in that place of look, putting the other people first is Christ, is not us. Because if it's us, it's going to be selfish. It's going to be us. That is the difference. Probably a great example, one of the great examples of seeing Christ in us is when we're more concerned about others than we are ourselves. All right, any other comments? Questions? Our motivation has to always be, it's not a warm and fuzzy. It's not a, oh, I just, this person's so sweet and I just really hate to hurt their feelings. It's got to be to renew the relationship. And that's, I was thinking about the relationship issue. That's the reason we want to see A, B, C, and D, because we don't want to get involved in each other's life enough to know the person's heart. You know what I mean? So our, our job in, in church discipline or any kind of discipline or whatever 
is ultimately to renew the brother, not to kick them out because they're too bad to be worshiping in our church or they've offended me or whatever. The ultimate purpose is to renew the relationship, to renew the brother or sister. Yeah, the end is the renewal, not the kicking out, not the discipline. The end is on the other side of that. The discipline, whether it's children or adults, is just the means to the renewal. Absolutely. Renewed heart, absolutely. Any others? All right, let's pray and we'll close. Christ, I thank you so much.